All right. So fill out those cards if you would. I know I tell you usually to, to listen to me, uh, uh, and I still would like for that, but some of you can multitask and you can do two things at once. Um, but we would like to get a card from each one of you this morning so that we have that, that information. Uh, we're continuing our series in Acts chapter 24. I think the, there's four things in this passage today that I think apply to where Paul lived. It applies to us when we go through struggles. I think it also applies to where we're at right now, uh, at this moment in our country, where we're at uh, in, in this moment in our, in our, uh, in our community. And so um, let me just begin by, by reading to you and sharing with you um, the, the, the passage that I want us to deal with today. Uh, Acts chapter 24 you remember Paul was kind of put on a mock trial in chapter 23. Uh, they brought a lot of charges against him. He was before the Sanhedrin. And then Paul introduced the fact that he was a Pharisee and that he believed in the resurrection. And all of a sudden the Pharisees and the Sadducees started fighting. And they had to pull Paul out of that, 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 that argument, that discussion. Uh, for they were fearful that they would rip him to pieces, the Bible says. And so Paul now has uh, been taken back to the palace. He's been kept there. And it says in chapter 24, verse 1, after five days, the high priest, Ananias, remember how wicked he was, okay? Uh, this wicked high priest came down with some of the elders and a spokesman, one, one Tertullius. I get the impression here that Tertullius is, is their, their attorney. He's their lawyer. He's the one that's going to present the case against Paul. And so they brought their, their big guns, okay? They laid before the governor their case against Paul. Now they're talking to Felix, who is the governor. He's crooked as well. Uh, but he's a Roman governor that's overseeing this area. And, and Tertullius comes in this, in this, it's still going to be kind of a kangaroo court, but he comes and he presents against uh, Paul these charges that, uh, that they wanted to, uh, to offer against Paul. Now, I want you to listen to what, what he does to start with. He's going to blow some smoke, okay? Uh, every good attorney wants to, to get the judge on his side, wants to, to be able to, uh, to do what they can to... Um, to present their case and get a favorable result. And so he starts off, it says, and when he had summoned, uh, Tertullius begun to accuse him. So he's beginning to accuse Paul, present his case against Paul and to accuse him. Uh, I think it's interesting that Satan is also an accuser of the people of God. He's an accuser of the saints of God. Those that want to live for God, Satan is an accuser who will come against them. And so this Tertullius is, is playing that role. And, and it says in verse two, since he, now he's talking to, um, to Felix, okay? And look what he says to Felix. And again, he's, it's pure flattery, okay? Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Festus, reforms are being made for this nation in every way and in everywhere, we accept this with all gratitude. This dude is a smoozer, Okay. But, but what he's saying is, is interesting here. He is attributing their peace, these reforms, all these things, their, their satisfaction and their enjoyment, their gratitude, all of this to a man and not to God. Okay? It's interesting this guy's coming in. Now, he's, he's speaking for the high priest, those who are supposed to be spiritual, and he's giving all the credit for all that's being done to a man and not to God. And he's saying here, look, it's through you that we enjoy much peace. It's, it's by your foresight, most excellent Festus, that reforms are being made for this nation. Do you realize the Jews hated the reforms that the Romans were forcing upon them? They despised them. That's why the, the Jews kept wanting to revolt and kept wanting to, 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 to fight back. They hated what the Romans were doing 
But in this courtroom, this guy is smoozing. Man, we love the reforms that your, your wisdom and your foresight, you are just the smartest man we've ever met. And under your leadership, man, we've got peace and we've got these reforms that are taking place and sweeping through the land. In fact, in every way and everywhere, we accept this with gratitude. No, they didn't. There was no gratitude in the eyes of, uh, of the Jews toward the Romans. They weren't happy. They were upset. And, and, and these Roman leaders knew it. That's why the Roman leaders are so inclined to give the Jews what they want. Remember when, when they went to the high priest and they asked him, look, bring Paul from point A to point B and we'll kill him in between? And they said, oh, all right, we'll do that. Why? Because these guys hated what the Romans were doing. And the Romans wanted to keep the Jews at peace. These governors' job was to keep peace in the province. That's what they were supposed to do. And sometimes if that meant compromising their character or if it meant killing somebody to, to appease everybody else, then they would do that. That's why Pilate handed over Jesus. This is the way they operated. If you guys will just calm down, we'll give him to you. And, and if y'all just calm down, we'll, we'll move Paul from point A, to, from courtroom A to courtroom B, and y'all can kill him on the way. And we'll say, oh man, sorry about that. That's, that's what's going on. But this, this lawyer, this spokesman, he is, he's blowing smoke. He's, he's, he's trying to flatter the judge. Why? Because he knows if he can flatter him, then he'll have Paul executed. And he, he says all this flattery. And he goes, okay, okay, now verse 4. But, but to detain you no farther, enough said, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. For we have found this man, talking about Paul, to be a plague one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world. He's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. Now, if you look in your Bible, it jumps from verse 6 to verse 8. Does your Bible do that? Verse 6 to verse 8. Where is verse 7? Well, verse 7 is left out of some Bibles because in the, in, in the more trustworthy documents that we found, like this Dead Sea Scrolls, those kind of things, that, that verse wasn't included. But here's what verse 7 had originally said. Okay, he goes and says, look, we, 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 he tried to profane the temple. We seized him. And then verse 7, maybe it's in the footnote at the bottom of your Bible. It is in mine. It says, some manuscripts add, and we would have judged him according to our law, but the chief captain Lysus came, and with great violence he took him out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come before you. So in other words, we were going to kill him, handle it ourselves. We had this all done, and your guy jumped in and kind of took him out of our hands, and so now here we're before you. So we seized him, and, and then by examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything that, of which we accuse him. In other words, what we're telling you is the truth. All you've got to do is ask, and, and, and you'll get the truth. That's what we're here to give you, is the truth. And then it says in verse 9, the Jews also joined in the charge affirming that all these things were so. In order for somebody to be accused, you needed more than one witness. You needed a couple different witnesses to do that. And so this, this spokesman stands up. He makes these charges against Paul. And then the Jews go, yeah, amen. Amen, that's right. We agree. We put our, we put our name on this. It says, and when the governor had nodded to him, to Paul, to speak, then Paul replied. And Paul says, knowing... That for many years you have been a judge over this nation. I cheerfully make my defense. And you say, man, is Paul buttering the guy up? We, we know that you've been a judge here for many, many years. So, you know, is Paul trying to butter him up? And the answer to that is no. If you jump over to, to verse 22, it says, Felix having a rather acute knowledge of the way. So in other words, Felix had been here for a while and he understood 
Judaism and he understood this new thing coming up called Christianity. They called it the way. He says, it's, it's obvious, Paul's speaking the truth. He's not just speaking flattery, but he says, hey, you've been around a long time. You're aware of the Jews, but you're also aware of this new movement. And so he says, he says um, I know that for many years you've been a judge over this nation, and so I cheerfully make my defense. I, I'm, I'm happy to come and to defend these charges. You can verify that it not, has not been more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. In other words, I haven't been here long enough to lead a revolt. I've just been in town no more than 12 days. And they didn't find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. In other words, Paul says, I didn't come here to create a problem. I didn't come here to stir up a riot. I didn't come up here to, to work people up. I didn't dispute and argue with anybody. I didn't stir up the crowd. He says in verse 13, neither can they prove to you what they are now bringing up against me. There's no proof to their charges, Paul's saying. But this I confess to you. Now, Paul's about to confess what he's done. He says, I, I love the way Paul works the gospel into everything that he does. Okay? I didn't stir up the crowds. I haven't been here in town long. I haven't done all these things that they're saying that I'm, that I'm, I'm guilty of. I haven't done that. But here's what I am guilty of, Paul would say. This I confess to you. That according to the way, according to Christianity which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers. That's what I'm guilty of, is worshiping the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that the Jews profess. I worship the God of our fathers. I believe everything laid down in the law. Remember their accusation is that he, he's thrown away the law, he's discarded the law. I believe everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. I've got my hope in God, which these men themselves accept. They say they put their hope in God. I put my, my hope in the same God that they put their hope in. And I believe that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. In other words, there's coming a time when Christ will return. Men will be resurrected. And, uh, and, and there will be a, a, a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. I'm also guilty, he says, of taking great pains to have a clear conscience, both toward God and toward man. So after several years, in other words, having been gone for several years from this place, I came back to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. It was while I was doing this that they found me purified now. They said I was unpurified, but I was purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, remember how they went back and, and, and the Jews from Asia are the ones that came down and created the crisis? These Jews from Asia, he says, by the way, who ought to be here before you to make their accusation against me? I, I have a right to defend myself and to face my accuser. They should be here if they had anything against me. Or else let these men themselves say what, what wrongdoing they found when I stood before their council. Other than this one thing, the only thing he says that I did that they could argue about is that I cried out while I was standing among them that it's with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial before you this day. Remember when he said that and the Pharisees turned against the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin was divided? Paul says that's the only thing I've done to stir up a crowd was to profess my faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
So Paul's saying, all these charges that you've made against me are, are bogus. I have strived hard to live for the Lord. I put my faith in the same God that these guys put their faith in. I believe the same scripture that they believe. I'm one of them. They call my my movement a sect, but call it what you want to. This is what I've done. And other than that, he says, I haven't done anything. And then verse 22, it says, But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off. In other words, Felix realizes there's nothing to these charges. He knew what the Jews believed. He knew now what Christianity was saying. And he knew that there was nothing to this, these charges. But Felix, being the corrupt man that he is, thought, well, there's really nothing against Paul. But if I keep him here a little while, I can, I can get some money out of this. I can make a quick dollar. He hoped that Paul would bribe him, it's going to say here in a few more verses. And so what he did, instead of declaring Paul innocent, he just puts it off. He, he delays the trial, saying, well, when Lysisius, the tribune, comes down, I'll decide your case then. Now, remember, he's been moved from Jerusalem, where this, this, this tribune is, down to Caesarea, 65 miles away. And well, next time he's in town, we'll hear your case, Paul. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody but have some liberty. In other words, he knew Paul wasn't guilty. So we're going to keep him locked up until this guy comes to town, but he can have some liberty. And he ordered that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to Paul's needs. So after some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, okay? So he's married, he's a Roman, married to a Jew. Uh, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. Now, it's interesting. Here, it's been a few days. Paul's been kept in prison. And this man and his wife come to town, and he wants his wife to hear some of what Paul's got to say. And so he brings Paul back before them. He begins to talk to Paul about his faith. And it's interesting to me that every time Paul gets an opportunity to speak to one of these leaders, Paul doesn't talk about getting out of jail. He doesn't talk about how, how his rights have been violated. He doesn't talk about it. He says, Let me, you're giving me 30 minutes of your time. I'm going to talk to you for 30 minutes about Jesus. So Paul comes before him. And this guy listens. He listens to, to Paul speak about faith in, G, in Christ Jesus. As Paul reasoned. Now listen, that, remember that term reason is that debate term? He, he discusses and, and it's ins and outs and question and answer. And it's this back and forth. So it's not just Paul lecturing, but it's this discussion that's going on between him and, 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 and Felix and now his wife. But Paul reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment. Three things, okay? He talked, well, really four things. He talked about his faith. He talks about, about righteousness, about self-control, and about judgment. Probably four things that Felix lacked. <coughs> four, four things that, that he lacked. He lacked faith. Uh, he, he lacked self-control, uh, and, and he lacked this righteousness. And Paul begins to talk about those things and begins to lecture and to discuss those with him. And uh, it says that Felix became alarmed. And he said, you go away for the present. <coughs> Excuse me. Everybody's going to leave. <coughs> You go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, then I will summon you. But at the same time, he hoped that money would be given to him by Paul. In other words, he's looking for a bribe. 
The reason he kept pulling Paul back in was hoping that Paul would, would get a bribe. Maybe that's the reason that he allowed Paul's friends to come to him, hoping that his friends would bring him some money and say, hey, Paul, look, this guy's open to a bribe. He, he takes bribes all the time. We can get you out of prison for just a couple hundred bucks. But he hoped the money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often, and he conversed with him. I think it's, it's interesting that, first of all, Paul doesn't tickle his ears. He, he doesn't go into these conversations and, and do what the attorneys and, and, and those of the world would do, which is to, to blow smoke. He doesn't do that. He talks about the gospel. He talks about faith. He talks about righteousness. He talks about self-control. He talks about the, the day that Festus is going to stand before God and face judgment. And yet there's something in Festus that keeps bringing Paul back in. Maybe it's his greed. Maybe it's just his hope that Paul's going to bribe him and, and try to set him free. So he keeps bringing him back in. And it's his corrupted heart that created opportunity for conversation. But look at the next verse. When two years had elapsed. Two years, Paul's held under guard. Although they know he's innocent. They know he hasn't done anything that's worthy of imprisonment or of death. For two years, they keep him there and they lock him up. And they hope that he'll provide a bribe. And so for two years, Felix leaves him there in jail, bringing him back and forth from time to time to hear him talk. So he hasn't just forgotten about him, but he hadn't set him free either. And Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. So in other words, his term expired. And instead of setting Paul free, saying, you know what? There's no, nothing else political for me to gain in this. I'm going to do the right thing, Paul, and just set you free. He leaves Paul in prison. Paul maintains his integrity. He he, he has opportunity after opportunity to share the gospel with this man. He continues to share the gospel. We're, we're, we're not told or even, even hinted at that this man ever became a believer in Christ. But he heard the gospel again and again and again. It shows you Paul's heart. If you or I were falsely accused, if we were imprisoned for a couple of years for something that we had not done, It'd be hard. It'd be hard to maintain our Christian character, to maintain our hope in God. Y'all remember just a year ago when Tony got falsely accused and put in prison for, what was it, how many days? 120, no, it seemed like 120. It was, what, 11 days? Is that what it was? And, and that helpless feeling of going, we've got an innocent person that's put in jail for something that he didn't even do, and we just had to wait. And that's, that's where Paul found himself. There's, there's some lessons, I think, in this that we can learn from Paul. Four things that, that I think took place while Paul was, was in, uh, in this two years of, of, of prison that teach us some things that we can do. And I think these four things apply to where we are today with this threat of a, of a virus sweeping across our nation. Let me share with you the four things that Paul did. The first thing I think that you got to do 
when you're in this situation, and I think Paul did it again and again, is to pray without ceasing. Man, we read Paul's letters that, and by the way, these, these letters that he's writing to the churches that make up our New Testament, these letters are written while Paul's there, and they are laced from beginning to end with prayer. Paul is not just praying for his own release. He's praying for, for God's gospel to go forward. He's praying for, for God to embolden the Christians across the world who are also facing persecution. He, he's praying for, for God to be glorified through him and, 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 and to, be, to be lifted high. And, and, and Paul would later write, he says, listen, he says, man, I, I praise God for my imprisonment because while I've been here, the whole prison guards heard about Jesus. The governor's heard, the king's going to hear. Everybody's hearing about the gospel. Pray, man, pray. Pray like you've never prayed before. He's praying for the gospel to go forward, for God's plans to prevail. He's praying for others to come to know Jesus. Don't you know that he's praying for an opportunity to talk to Festus one more time? To talk to Felix one more time? Don't you know he's just praying, Lord, give me one more opportunity with that man? So he's praying. And that's the first thing that we've got to do. It's, it's not the only thing that we do, but it's, it's got to be first is to pray without ceasing. The second thing Paul did, and I, I believe that he calls us to do through his letters, is to prepare. We need to prepare our minds. And, and, and Paul would, could focus on what is seen here. I am locked up. I'm in prison. I, I'm, a, I'm a church planner at heart. I want to be out there changing the world. And I'm locked up in a prison cell, and I can't get out. But it's in that environment that Paul pins the words. And he says, they, they may lock me up physically, but they cannot bind the gospel. I may be locked in a jail cell, but my spirit is free. Paul understood the difference between what he could see and what was going on. Paul, Paul says, these chains that I'm bound with, they haven't bound my spirit. They haven't, they haven't stopped my prayers. They haven't, they haven't stopped me from seeking a way to serve the Lord. And so we've got to prepare our, our minds by, by setting our minds not on what we see, but on things that are above. The Bible says, set your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. Listen, guys, it is, it is so easy in the midst of stuff like we're facing right now to be overwhelmed and just be paralyzed. When we forget who's sitting on the throne and we forget who holds our life in his hands, it's easy to become fearful and all that. We've got to prepare our minds. We've also got to prepare our hearts because it's easy to get fearful and bitter and anxious. We've got to prepare our minds and, and our hearts and our hearts need to be fully yielded to the Holy Spirit. This is not a time to run low on the Holy Spirit. This is a time to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To be looking for opportunities for the Spirit of God to use us. To be, to be anxious for God to find a way to, to use somebody like me and somebody like you. Our hearts have got to be fully submitted to Him and to His will. Full of trust that even if God allows us to experience suffering the way that Paul experienced suffering, that our hearts are not going to grow discouraged, but they're going to stay true to God's word. I think we also need to prepare our mouths. <laughs> what we say and how we testify about the Lord. You see, when you go through hardships, it's easy that all you talk about is your hardship and how difficult it is. Poor, poor me. But you can also, with that mouth, guys, instead choose to talk about the faithfulness of God and the greatness of God, the majesty of God, the power of God, the righteousness of God, 
the, the provisions of God. There's, there's so many things that we can, can, can let come out of our mouths. And sometimes when we begin to suffer, the first thing we want to do is just whine. And what we really need to do and what the world really needs to see is how a Christian can suffer well. They need to be able to look at us and go, okay, so that's, that's a distinguishing thing. If this is how the world suffers, but this is how a believer suffers, they ought to hear things coming out of our mouth that build up and, 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 and don't tear down. They ought to be able to, to see that. So we need to prepare our minds and our hearts and our mouths to testify about the goodness of God. And along that same line, the, the third thing is we've got to be ready to proclaim. So we, we pray and we prepare, but we also proclaim our hope is in God. Listen, I read an article last night, man, that really spoke to me, and it, it said this. It says, sometimes we, 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 as we pray, we, we place our hope in the outcome that we want. I hope that this is what happens. I hope I don't catch the virus. I hope that I don't get sick. I hope that my child, I hope, I hope, I hope, and we hope about the outcome instead of hoping and putting our faith in God. You see, my hope is not that it'll turn out the way I want it to. My hope is that God's on the throne. My hope is that he is in control. My hope is that God will use anything, all things, and work them together for my good. That kind of a hope does not disappoint. When my hope is in the outcome, I can be disappointed. But when my hope is in God, he never disappoints. And so our hope doesn't need to be in some, Lord, I, I, I hope, or I, I cross my fingers, and, or, or Lord, in Jesus' name I pray that, that nothing evil... Okay, pray, yes, but, but, but don't put your hope in the outcome. Put your hope in God. You see the difference in those two? And that's what we've got to do is to, 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 to proclaim that our hope is in God. It, it, it's, it's like those in the Old Testament that faced all kinds of trials, and they said, look, we, we believe that God can deliver us. In fact, we believe God will deliver us. But if God doesn't deliver us, we're still going to praise God. And we're going to draw our last breath saying that He is God, and we are not. My hope is in Him, not in the outcome. My hope is in Him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we believe. And yet our hope is in Him, not in the outcome. And that's what we've got to do as believers is proclaim that our hope is in God, not just in some desired outcome. We need to proclaim the goodness of God even in the midst of suffering. We need to proclaim the grace of God that reaches out and touches sinners like us and gives us an opportunity not just to live forever in this life, but to live forever in eternity. We need to proclaim God's promises to us that he will never leave us and that he will never forsake us. That he has plans for us. We need to proclaim to the world that's nervous the power of our God to use horrible things for a good purpose. And we also need to proclaim to the world God's provision that God will provide for these needs. And then to show them tangible ways that he does that as we show up at their door. And as we help them through their most nerve-wracking, difficult days. So we pray, we prepare, we proclaim. And, and the final thing I would say that I see in Paul's passage, and I also see it for us here, is that we persevere. If I come down with this virus tomorrow, and if it takes my life, then I draw my last breath being faithful to God. That's, that's where Paul's at. 
Paul is, is stuck in prison and he's saying, guys, whether I'm in prison or whether I'm not, whether I'm in chains or whether I'm set free, it doesn't change the fact that I'm running my race, that I'm keeping the faith, and that I'm honoring God. Whatever happens to me, my goal is to persevere, to finish strong. To finish praying and preparing and proclaiming. Because God holds my life, not some virus, God holds my life in his hands. And if he chooses that through suffering I can best glorify him, then suffering it needs to be. If he chooses that through a, 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 an illness or a disease or something like that, 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 that I can best bring glory and, and honor to him, then that's what I want to do. I want to persevere to the end. And I want to be found faithful and to finish strong. And I think that's exactly what we see Paul doing. He doesn't get bitter. He just keeps taking every day and the opportunities that are afforded to him on those days and trying to make the most of it. So he wakes up and he prays. He prepares. He's ready to proclaim. And he perseveres. And I think those are things that we're called to do even in the midst of, of, of illness and threat and, and uncertain days. I think that we're called to do those four things. I, I want to say something. In, in, in saying this, I don't want in any way to be divisive or to come across um, condescending, okay? But at this point in time in our nation, the last thing that we need to do as believers is to sow seeds of discord. There's a lot of stuff being posted all over the internet, all over news channels, all over everywhere that, that's divisive in its tone. Depending on which news channel you watch, you're going to get different ideas, different theories, different things. What our community needs right now is not a CNN commentary or a Fox News commentary. What they need right now are believers with compassion. Believers with compassion. Whether you're a Democrat or whether you're a Republican, whether you're rich or whether you're poor, whether you're elderly or you're young, what our world needs most right now is not your political opinions or your theories. They need compassion. They're nervous. They're thinking, man, what's going to happen to me? What, what if I'm a single senior adult lady living by myself with nobody to take care of me and I get this disease? Who's going to show up and help me? We've, we've got... To think beyond the keyboard, beyond the, the, the cell phone, we've got to be careful in what we say and what we do. It's so easy to just click share. Oh, that was funny. But sometimes in doing that, we alienate half the people in our community that we may be called upon to minister to. And they read our post, and then we want to show up at their door and, and, and offer help or groceries or whatever else. And, and it's going to be hard for them to receive that in the spirit of Christ if we've alienated them through the things that we say and the things that we do. Again, there's the end of the world. And there's, oh, it's just a hoax. And, and the truth is somewhere in between. But, but, but whether you buy either one of those, maybe the best thing to do right now is just be quiet. Unless you're going to proclaim the goodness of God. 
unless you're going to proclaim the compassion of God, unless you're going to say to our world, I'm standing ready to help you, no matter if you're a Democrat or a Republican or whatever else, I am here to help you. And that's my goal because I'm a servant of Christ more than anything else. And, and I'm coming through, do you understand where we're at? It's not time for us to be divisive. The world needs to see people with compassion and with love. We've got people in our church right now, guys, that are immune compromised. They're going through chemo and radiation and they're battling for their lives. And they're worried that if they go to the grocery store to buy bread, that they might be exposed to something that's going to end their life. They don't care about political opinions. They don't care about all these theories. They just want to know, is somebody going to show up and help me? Is somebody going to be there to walk with me? We've got folks that have that are, that are got breathing difficulties, lung disease, heart issues, diabetic. They're elderly. And they just want to know, is there a church, is there somebody that will care about me and will show up and will help me? They need to see and hear compassion and love in the things that we say and the things that we post. Do we have a right share our opinion? Absolutely. We live in a country that gives us that freedom. But I think about the passage in 1 Corinthians where Paul talks about our freedoms and he talks about how that, that, uh, that we have a right. He says all things are lawful but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful but not all things build up. So let us not, let no one seek his own good but let's seek the good of our neighbor. So I would say to you, man, that, that as, we, as we say, look, all things are permissible, but man, not all things are beneficial or helpful and not all things can, can build people up. Let's, let's speak compassion. If you want to flood Facebook right now, don't just grab a theory that scares people to death or don't just buy an idea that everything's a hoax, but use your your keystrokes to assure people that God's still on his throne to assure them that God still sees their need and is aware of their need even before they are and let them know that there's a church on this corner that will do everything within our power to be there to help them if and when tragedy strikes we've got to pray We've got to prepare. We need to be those that proclaim. And guys, we need to persevere through whatever comes our way. Whatever that is and whatever it takes, we need to be the last man standing. And say, you know what? Even if God chooses to take me out through this, I'm going to take my last breath praising the Lord and thanking Him that He considers me worthy to be His child. I hope that makes sense. And I hope it doesn't sound condescending. But guys, listen, this is, this is a serious time for the church to be serious and for us to do what God's called us to do. And I just want us to be those people, to be ready to be that kind of people. Because I tell you what, we just found out there's two already that are sitting at home going, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And they need to know that whatever happens, they've got some people right here that are ready and willing to do whatever we can 